its flow, and this is my impression of a politician. I believe in the people, and their cars, and progressive, and the fact that you, yes, you can plug in Snapshot to save even more money for being a good driver. I also believe in Sasquatch, but more as a joke, but also kind of seriously. Safe drivers save with Snapshot from Progressive. I approve of this message, and Sasquatch, if you are real, you can totally be my running mate. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Snapshot not available in all states. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the McCarthy Project live from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we have been attacking life and sport since 2001. Well, good afternoon. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we are coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we are going to be talking about the concept of training ugly today. Uh, I am totally excited. This is a, 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 the key components that changed how uh, my business ran, the success my athletes had, the joy they had from playing. Um, so I'm not even going to, without further ado, we're going to go over to Trevor Reagan uh, from TrainingEgly.com after the break. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Stephen McCarthy from the McCarthy Project, and we have been talking about this world of uh, training ugly and the idea of actually learning to play sports uh, without being told 42 different ways of what you're doing wrong and doing it perfect to actually enjoying the process of learning how to play sports or how to play a sport, um, and more specifically, beach volleyball. And uh, today I'm going to be joined by Trevor Reagan from TrainingUgly.com. And for everybody that I have worked with, uh, they have heard this term, Training Ugly, before. So I'm very honored to have Trevor on the phone to talk about the concept more specifically. How are you doing today, Trevor? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is for, sure, uh, is for sure mine. So with that being said, um, I know a lot of my, my clients know of the concept of Training Ugly, but... Would you go into a little bit of your background and talk about how you developed um, uh, all the cool videos and YouTube videos and your website and the whole philosophy of Training Ugly? Yeah, so the the idea of the website and, and the mission is very, very simple. It's let's discover and share the science of learning and development. And I've just been fascinated for a long time about like, okay, what is the research? What does the science say about learning? And the more that I study and the more that I uncover, the more that I see usually the way that we practice and the way that we teach people, there's like a big gap between that and what the science and research tells us we should do. And so the website was born out of bridge that gap. Um, In my opinion, I think there's a ton of research and science out there, but it's not necessarily... Uh, the most accessible. And so I see myself as sort of like the bridge between the science world and then the world of uh, coaches, athletes, teachers, students. And what I, my intent is to create content 
that is engaging and fun and informative that people can watch and then they can get a grasp of what this science is saying. And so essentially what I do, it's the, the most amazing job that I could ever imagine. I get to travel around. I meet with uh, expert coaches and teachers and researchers and authors and professors. Uh, and I learn about their research and their studies and what they've discovered over the past few decades of their work. And then I compile that into uh, videos, articles, and things that I share through Train Ugly. Um, and so I, I, I do that. That's like the majority of my work. And then I also spend a ton of time on the road working with sports teams, working with schools, working with companies so they can implement this information as well. You know, it's funny you say that you did the science and the research, you know, shows. And I even have to attest to it myself and is that I worked with young athletes for, let's just say, I've been doing it since 2001. It's now 2016. So basically 15 years and, and 13 years of that, it was, um, uh-oh, somebody's coming to get me. You better watch out. I know. <laughs> I didn't say it was it's going awesome. down out here. <laughs> oh, man. But anyways, uh, for 13 years of that, you know, basically I taught, put your elbow here, put your knee here, do these things, and you will succeed. And the funny thing is you think about it, if you need to do all those things as an athlete, you're really not that good of an athlete, first of all. And two, it's not going to automatically, if you do something perfect, make you a great athlete. And it's funny how the research actually shows what you're talking about, but nobody knows about it. Why do you think there has such been a lack of, uh, I guess, transfer is the best word, from the professor, from the research to actual, um, Um, I guess, Okay, so so there's like, yeah, there's like a lot of principles that they've discovered in the realm of, the two things that I focus on are, are called growth mindset, and that's like the mental approach to development. And then motor learning is sort of how we design and approach practice. And there's a ton of principles that they've discovered. Like one of them you're starting to hit on is like the importance of learning through play and not necessarily through like uh, hammering home all of these technical things up front. Um, but I think the reason that there's this gap is a couple things. One is the format that the science world uses to share information is through like articles and journals and things like that. And those are hard to get your hands on. And it's also time consuming and confusing to read through an entire study and then pick out the principles that matter. And so it's, it's, that needs to exist. That world absolutely needs to exist. But I think I saw a stat the other day that like over 50% of all research papers are only read by the people who edit the journal and the people that are like peer reviewing the work. So like, it's just not an accessible, it's like, it's hard for the average Joe, you and me, or a coach or a teacher to have access to that, let alone uh, digest it once you do get it. And so what I try to do and, and what I find it's, it's almost every uh, person that I meet with from the research world, they're so excited about, someone from our world reaching out to them because they've been trying to get people to listen for decades and decades and decades. And I think the best example of that is Dr. Richard Schmidt. And this guy, he wrote the textbook on motor learning. 
And I went out to visit him a couple of years ago and he was just so excited. He's like, Oh, I've been trying to get sports people to listen for 30 years. And he's, and so the first video I made with train ugly was with him. It's uh, it's called block versus random practice. And it's that outlines a very important uh, motor learning principle, but that was like, that video was produced by the man himself, like Richard Schmidt. It was, and that's, sort of the experience that I find is these people want their information. They want their studies. They want their discoveries to be shared. It's just the way that they go about sharing them is perfect for their world, but it's not really conducive to our world. You know, it's interesting when you say it's not conducive because there is such a um, world of coaches that are power tripping control freaks. You know, we'll just call it. Oh yeah. So, oh Yeah. And and I'm glad you brought that up because that was my, my second – my first point is the information isn't too accessible. But the second thing is a lot of people in the coaching and, and teaching education worlds, they we think that we know it all, and we do it yeah. the way it was done to us. So the, uh, yeah. the biggest problem we see in coaching – and listen, I'm guilty of this as well. Like when I first got into coaching, I was – I literally ran the drills that I, they ran in high school and college for me. And I said the same things and I coached the way that I was coached because that is what I knew. And that is sort of our default approach in the, the coaching world is to coach the way that we were coached. I think being open-minded and being curious about the things that we do is step one to realizing that there's like, the truth is, there's better ways to do just about everything. There's better ways to eat. There's better ways to work out. And there are better ways to practice. And our practice needs to be upgraded because the truth is it hasn't really changed in decades. Whereas everything else around us is changing and upgrading constantly. Our practice style and what we think about practice um, has been very, very stale, I would say. You know, it's interesting. And, and, and it's funny because once you start to mention those things, you can start to see them the concepts when they bubble up, you know, in your life, but you really don't, you, you don't catch them. And it's funny because uh, a friend of mine um, is actually the trainer for Adrian Peterson, one of the Minnesota Vikings. And one of the mm-hmm. things he used to talk about all the time was the concept of motor learning. And everybody thought he was a crackpot because how can a trainer <laughs> talk about motor learning? You know what I mean? And he really <laughs> felt that the weight room was really overweighted, you know, yeah. as far as a tool to make a great athlete. How do you, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you can make gains there, but the real, like a a couple core principles from the motor learning world that I would challenge people to consider. One is the importance of like, they call it specificity, which means when you do a skill in a game, there's like hundreds of variables that go into that skill. Um, For Adrian Peterson, if he's running a ball, in a game, there's so many reads, there's so many reactions, there's so many things that like so many variables that go into that, the execution of that skill. And same if someone's shooting a three pointer or digging a ball uh, on the beach, right? There's just so many variables that go into a game skill that make that up. And so the idea with specificity is this, can we introduce as many of those variables as we can into our practice So when we're practicing, we're getting good at the skill that we're actually going to use when it matters. So there's a big difference between being able to 
dig a ball from a coach who's standing on a box doing it for the 50th time in a row than digging one in a game when it's a live read and there's a block and there's uh, the sets off the net. And like, we have to read all of these things. And so the, yeah. the law or the rule of specificity says the closer that our practice resembles the game, the more transfer we get. And so what happens is if our traditional, our old school practice, if you really look at it and look at the variables, it's night and day compared to a game. Absolutely night and day. And that's the reason that like everybody has experienced this, but we see a lot of progress in, uh, in practice. But when it comes time to perform in a game, we don't see that transfer. So we got better in practice. We thought we had this skill figured out, but we don't see the results in the game. And the reason is the game skill is an entirely different skill than the one that we've drilled for four days. Uh, you're going to have to make us all sit down now because I'm just saying you feel really, really humbled <laughs> really fast when you hear this and you see it. Now, this is the thing that I think that's interesting for coaches and and because I am, um, like I mentioned off air, my son plays college basketball, um, and he did do it the old way because that's what I had worked with him with. What's funny was when I switched him over or decided to switch over to this form of, of training, it absolutely drove him berserk because he says, no, 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 Dad, I, I, want, to, I want to shoot 400 shots. That's going to make me better. And that's what's advertised. LeBron James, no, he didn't say this. I'm yeah. saying this. LeBron James uh, on ESPN said he does three workouts a day. He shoots 1,000 shots a day. That's what it's going to take. How do you respond to something like that? Well, I think, number one, it's like, you can make progress from just spending hours and hours and hours in the gym. What we're saying is we can also maximize that and get more out of it faster. And then the other thing that we need to realize is this, like the examples that we see in the pro sports world of like uh, Kobe Bryant's workouts, Steph Curry's workouts, LeBron's workouts, all of these things. It's like, yeah, that's what they're doing. But they also have like nine hours a day and they can do this and they're spending a ton of time actually playing. And so my argument yeah. is like, sure, yeah, they're doing these workouts, but they're also playing for a couple hours and like the playing will lead to more gains. Now, I'm not sitting here saying to train someone, you just roll the balls out. I think techni the technical side is important, but we have to be creative as far as how we implement the technical side. And so you can teach technique, no problem, no doubt. But the way we do that is different than what we think. And so, and this is, this is things that we've, or these are things that we've experimented and seen a lot. This is uh, proven in, in the lab, but pr proven in the field as well as like how to introduce a skill to someone. The process is different than we think. We usually think that we need to slow it down and break it down and just teach the elbow then just teach the feet. And, but what the research shows is when you work on the entire skill, the whole skill at once, it's much more effective. You can talk about one thing at a time, but you let them perform the entire skill. It's good to show them what it needs to look like. It's good to have keys. It's good to explain what the, the technique or form that we're going for looks like and feels like. And then the key is once they can show you, yeah, this is what it looks like 
here's my elbow, here's my feet, here's my follow through. Once they can show you what it looks like, then it's more effective to put them in a more random environment where we're introducing more game variables. So rather than shooting a hundred shots from one spot, now we're moving between every shot where one shot is closer than the next and one is a bit farther away than the next. Um, I can't explain all of the science around that in the time period we have, but for anyone interested, if you just go on YouTube and uh, type in block versus random practice, uh, that's the video that uh, Schmidt and I worked on together, and it explains the science behind that and what, what I mean by that. You know, it's interesting when you talk about that because there really is a um, a uh, a big disconnect even with the athletes when you take this approach. And it's funny because I've had teams come up and tell me, well, when are you going to talk about playing beach volleyball? No, I have mm-hmm. been talking for a long time, you know, for, for weeks. Well, when are you going to show up, you know, like talk to us about it? I said, well, have you been playing? Have you been practicing for two hours? Have we done different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when are you going to talk about all this stuff? I'm like, probably never. Right. And I actually feel guilty sometimes because yeah. I feel like you should talk more, you know, just to be like everybody else. But when you really bring the philosophy out, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. There, 80% of it has to be this philosophy. But, yes, there has to be some structure underneath. Or uh-huh. Of course. Underneath. And, and we're not saying to not. Yeah, yeah. Right. We're, and we're saying, like, talking is good, but let's make our words mean something. And so we don't yeah. just have to fill space with our words, but let's let our words get, uh, create great feedback and let's let our words give great information. And I think the key point with the talking is going to another motor learning principle. It's we learn by doing, not by watching, not by listening. We learn by doing. And so for someone to acquire and learn a skill, it means they have to do that and so what, what the big problem we see with uh, our words and all the talking is many times our talking is robbing our people of reps. And so we spend so much time talking where we think, yes, we sound good. Yes, we're giving good information. But the truth is our people are not doing the thing when we're talking. And so how do we build our information and build our feedback into the drill so we can give them useful information while they're getting reps. It's funny because you mentioned that exact thing, and I just remember an athlete just talking to me about how a coach interrupted so many times that they never did anything. You know, right. and was and the information. Yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry. And, and, and that's <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right, and so. So, okay, motor learning principle, you learn by doing, not by watching. And therefore, the more that you do, the more that you're going to learn. So that's step one is how do we let people do more? We stop. We don't talk as much. We get creative with the way we develop our drills so they spend less time standing in line. We add more balls. We make the team smaller. All we're doing there is ramping up the contacts for the people. The more contacts they get, the better they're going to get. And then to build on top of that is, How do we make those contacts and those reps as game-like as possible? How do we build in the randomness and how do we build in the reading and planning necessary to develop the total skill? And that is starting to, again, implement these motor learning principles into everyday practice. So let's talk about one piece because I think one of the things that I found in the feedback loop, not only the coach talking, um, 
when I went down, because I, I finally said, you know, the heck with this, I'm going down to the library. That's where I went down to the University of Minnesota, and I sat there for four hours, and I typed in every way I could think of motor learning and Richard Schmidt and Carl yeah. <laughs> um, down all these guys. I was like, I typed, I mean, every combination I could think of. And right. uh, one of the things I came to, talk to us about, you mentioned feedback, and then the use of video feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the best types of feedback that you can give is visual feedback. And so what what the research shows, and if you, it's just common sense, it's like, me telling you that your elbow was out on the last shot is only so effective. If I can quickly show you where your elbow was at on the last shot, it's about a thousand times more effective, right? Because seeing it makes so much more sense. Um, so a couple things that we've discovered with the visual feedback. One, and it's really easy to do. You can have a phone or an iPad. There's a $2 app you can get that does video delay. The most common thing we see is, is say we're training, a, like doing a shooting workout and we're doing visual feedback for the players. Like they'll go to the screen and go, what? I didn't know I did that weird kick with my foot. So it's like they're, yep. they've done this thing for years and maybe people have grilled them on it. Maybe people have talked to them about it, but they never really understood what it was or what it looked like until they saw it. And so, again, seeing something, that's worth like thousands of words. And so rather than us trying to describe to the player who most likely has no clue what we're talking about, we can just show them. (laughs) So instead of saying, look, you need to get your hips into this, like they don't know what that means, but show them and just say, (laughs) remember, remember what we're and and show them show them an example of what we're going for and then an example of what they look like and ask them like do you see the difference here what do you think the difference is here how would you fix this and now we're starting to give more useful feedback through um, this visual perception of like what it actually looks like. Way too cool. All right, I I'm gonna change directions of the conversation because again, I could get into a lot of the things that I've learned. You know what I mean, or the questions I have, but I would like to uh, talk about the process. Say you're a new coach and you say, you know what, I buy in. Okay, I, I, I see what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking of, um, um, I believe it's Sarah Collier out of USC Beach Volleyball, and she had talked about how she implemented Training Ugly and how she really couldn't handle the practices being that ugly because they were really atrocious yeah. and it fe- felt like they were so disconnected that it was just not going to work. But she was patient yeah. with the idea and eventually it turned and eventually obviously made them into national champions. Now, the question I have for you is that say you're in the same position as Coach Collier was and she says, okay, yes, I'm excited about those ideas. I see them, but I'm petrified of what it would look like. What would I yeah. do or what information would I go get? <laughs> to make sure that That's, I don't pass out. Right. And that is why motor or that is why growth mindset plays a huge role in this. And so at the start, I just went heavy into the motor learning side of things, practice design. And then I ran into the exact hurdle that you're talking about of like, wow, number one, this practice is way harder. This is more frustrating. You make way more mistakes. Like it is so ugly. And that's where a growth mindset comes into play. And that, to me, is so important. In fact, we start with growth mindset when we train. And growth mindset 
is developing people, developing their mindset and their attitude towards learning. So now, first of all, they, these people believe in their capacity to grow and acquire skills and get better. But second, they understand how learning works. And what we do is when you equip someone with a growth mindset, they have more grit and determination. And with this understanding that I learn through mistakes, I learn through failures, that growth is a byproduct of taking on challenges and struggling. And that is like a law of learning. No matter what you're learning, you learn from struggle and you learn from challenges. And when you teach people these concepts, they're more open and they're more willing to struggle to make mistakes and to do the things that are going to happen when we practice according to the science. But now they're mentally equipped for this, where without a growth mindset, a lot of times our ego will get in the way, where we take you out of your comfort zone, we put you in a game like practice, and you start to make mistakes. And our default perception is mistakes are bad. I am being judged. I'm not allowed to make these mistakes. I'm not allowed to fail and that is kind of where most of us are at, where our ego gets in the way of learning. With a growth mindset, we work to, to combat that, where, again, we're teaching them the value of these things. And so what we find is somebody with a growth mindset, they actually draw more out of a motor learning practice than someone without. And because, again, we're, we've attacked this at its core, at the foundation of helping them see how the learning process works. And when they understand that, they know, yes, this is where we're coming from. And this is why this practice is a bit harder and a bit more random and a bit faster and a bit out of control. But now they understand the value of that. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the athlete and their perception. I have two things uh, I'll put out to you. One is when an athlete buys into the philosophy and they touch the ball that many times in two hours, it becomes so much more fun to them because they're doing things and they're making mistakes and they're having fun and they're enjoying the process of getting better, right? Whereas when they go to the other form, they say, well, I stand in line and I touch the ball a tenth of the time. Who Mm -hmm. wants to do that? It really is a big shift, but once you make it, it's good. Right, and so there's a lot of upsides to this. One is, the, the practice time is more efficient, so they're going to get more transfer from it. They're practicing real skills. Second, it's way more fun to practice more game-like, so you're more involved getting more reps and you're getting to play. When you have more fun, the research shows that you actually learn more. Like when you're looking forward to going to practice, you're going to draw more out of that. You're going to learn and develop more. Um, and so there's tons of upside to this. Uh, playing with small-sided Uh, playing small-sided games where maybe for basketball, rather than playing five-on-five, we play two-on-two, three-on-three. Same is true in volleyball. When you play small-sided games, you ramp up the reps. They're game-like. But another thing that people don't realize is you start to develop total players. So when I'm playing two-on-two or three-on-three, the positions are kind of uh, out the door. So I'm going... As a basketball player, I'm going to have to dribble. I'm going to have to pass. I'm going to have to defend. I'm going to have to shoot. And same is true in volleyball. Sometimes I might have to set. Sometimes I'm going to pass. Sometimes I'm going to hit. And when you develop players in that environment, they become more total players where they're less robotic and specialized and they're able to do everything. Of course, when they play the game, they have specific skills that they need to do, but it's better to create like a total player that's well-rounded and well-developed because when things 
break down. And when we're out of system, which happens all the time, they're more prepared for that moment, for that experience of playing the actual game. Um, so there's a ton of upside to this. More reps, it's more game-like, it's more fun, more learning, and we develop total players. And that is why big-time programs are implementing this. I, I think the best <laughs> example is, is USA Volleyball. Like, they've yep. gone all in on growth mindset and motor learning. And if you go watch them practice, it's incredible to watch. Like, the fun that they have, the learning that happens, the reps that they get, it's amazing. And to me, it's, it's not that complicated. This isn't rocket scientists. It's understanding, like, look, we're built to learn through play and through enjoyment. And if you look around, the examples are everywhere. The best basketball players used to come from playgrounds where there was no drills, no cones, no coaches. The best volleyball players used to come from the beaches where there was no drills, no cones, no coaches. The best soccer players used to come from the streets of Brazil where they played futsal, which was a small-sided soccer game with more reps, no drills, no cones, no coaches. Like The examples are everywhere throughout time of Lots and lots of good, fun game reps leading to lots and lots of development and learning. You know, it's funny because the one analogy I think that's best um, related to USA Volleyball is the idea of men's volleyball. Because even in Minnesota, which is where I'm at, uh, men don't play volleyball. You know, it's, it's a girl's sport, so to speak, right? Um, yep. And it's interesting because when you look at the idea of USA Volleyball men's competing at the highest level, you know, in the world, right. and we only have, like a, I think, a, you know, 121 scholarships, full-ride scholarships in the whole nation, but yet right. we're the one, you know, competing, and we got third this year, obviously, in the Olympics, but the thing that's interesting about it is that when you look at it, it's totally true. Well, we should, if, if, if life was working out this way, then if it was just your volume, then the girls should win every time because we've got 15,000 or whatever it is. Right. I hope my right. numbers are close. No, uh, you're, you're, clo you're close because it is night and day. And so another proof of concept is this, is like the, the men's side was implementing motor learning into their practice decades ago. And that was spearheaded by Carl McGowan and all those guys, like they were implementing this. And like you said, they have like the smallest pool ever, like men's volleyball in the States. That's like the 17th most popular sport. We probably have more people bowling than that. Because, like there's just other things that we care about. And so like the top athletes, the top talent goes to the other sports. And then you look at like, well, how have they been able to compete? They've been able to compete because of the way they develop their players and the style of practice because they implemented the science a long time ago. The women's team now, they're implementing it as well, and they're seeing incredible results. And they've been successful throughout, of course. But again, they have a bigger pool of athletes that they draw from. And now that they've added motor learning and growth mindset to their practice, I think the results kind of speak for themselves. Like they've made a ton of progress, especially in the last quadrant. You know, it's, and, and that's the part I think kind of coming full circle, you know, is the, the athletes enjoy it. The coaches enjoy coaching that way. I know I particularly enjoy it. It's like uh, going out literally to the park every day and standing there talking to people rather than a <laughs> crack the whip, you know, a guy, right. if I don't crack the whip enough, then, then I'm not doing them justice. And so, therefore, if I yell at them more, Still, right. That's the key. Yeah, you know? I'm just throwing out all the things that I could think of. But no, it's, last five, it's or, so cool. five or six. Yeah, last five or six minutes we have here. 
let's go back and say, okay, I'm a coach. I'm in. I buy. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you see the growth mindset. You see the motor learning piece. How do you or where would you, what would you do to get the information so that you don't take five years to implement it and all of a sudden right. go, oh, no, that was a waste of five years, right. but yet I got there, you know, type of a right. scenario. I, yeah, for sure. I think there's lots of good resources. Um, John Kessel's blog is great. Lots of information about how to implement and how to start. I would devour that as quickly as I could. I think that actually the Train Ugly website has lots, like the, the goal with that website is to help people do exactly that. And so what I do is I'll create 15, 20 minute videos of, hey, this is what growth mindset is. And this is how to teach it to your team. Hey, this is why you sh- this is how the brain learns. And this is what it means to design practice according to that. Or this is why you're afraid to fail. And so like we have these videos up and live on the site where you can go through those. You can read the articles, check out the videos and we lay it out of like, this is where to start and this is where you should go. And this is what you do after that. And the train ugly site is always evolving. Like I'm always adding to that. John Kessel is always writing blogs. And so I think there's great resources out there. And I'm not saying that John and I are the only ones. I think there's a ton of great people that are fascinated with development and learning and they're writing and, and sharing great things. And so stay open-minded and stay curious. And if you, number one, I'll offer right now, if anyone has any questions about this and wants to implement it, email me at trevor at trainugly.com and we can have a conversation about it. We can set up a phone call. Like I want people to, I, this is something I want to help with because I, it matters and it's such a powerful concept, especially the growth mindset side. It's very, very, very important. And so, uh, and I know that John is the same, like he's so open and helpful to people when they reach out to him. So the community of people that are interested in sharing, number one, we're always at it. We're always working to share more and we're all very receptive and open to the conversations and questions and helping people through the process as well. Very cool. I think that's the way to end. Cause I honestly, as one that has gone through this process, you know, and, and it's funny I asked the question as a new because that's exactly where I was. I was excited, um, very uh, curious, and just went down to the library and yeah. and, and took those people and, and took those sites, the exact ones you talked about, yours, John Kessel's, and then I went to the library and said, okay, yes, what the research they're saying is true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I went out right, and right, tried right. it, and I'm like, and you're like, whoa. This is really cool. It actually, like I say, I've literally, and, and I'll challenge people to this, is um, uh, when we started our company, and, and I'm going to share something and then, and then uh, give you an idea, is that when we started back in 2001, there were not very many companies doing what we're doing, and that's helping young athletes and train them. Our first summer, I think we worked with 5,000 kids, something like this, because there were no other yeah. options, and we were, we were good, sort of, um, I should say that back. We were good at selling our stuff, let's put it that way. Um, and yeah. so I had hired all these trainers because we were going to have all these referrals coming out uh, of the summer, and we had zero athletes come work with us after the summer. And I was heartbroken because it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was just brutal. And the reason why was because the training was boring. Right. You know what I mean? And, it, and it, right. if, if I would have started with this, 
I would have saved myself 10 years of wandering through the wilderness trying to figure out how in the world to get athletes better and get them excited about a, a sport. Um, totally. So I, and, and it's funny because I've gotten more uh, positive reviews on all my stuff than I've ever gotten before and than I've ever had mm-hmm. in all of my life in the last year. And that's what right. I, I just want to, you know, you probably, I said we didn't know each other before, but I'm just going to tell you thank you um, mm. for putting together some stuff because it, it, it changed it changed changed my business, and and that's what I want to put out to people is that I challenge you to get the information, um, right? And challenge you to get in touch with Trevor because I mean, it, the the theories are huge. Um, anyways, last any remaining thoughts or last minute thoughts? Um, I man, we could talk for hours about this. I think, <laughs> like I thought, I think we gave a good preview. Um, yep. And again, here to help however I can answer any questions that I need to. Um, it's important. Uh, and I think something that we need to realize is how much power and influence we have as coaches and yes. to use that power and influence to inspire kids. Because the bottom line here is this should be a great experience for kids, period. Yes. Like this should be a fun and rewarding experience for kids. Period. Yes. And if we not want like it, that's a sheer drudgery of showing up to practice and getting right. ripped by the coach. Right. This is a game. Like this is sports, and there's such a valuable tool if we allow them to be. And so I think it's our job to be open-minded and to learn as much as we can about the best ways to do that. Done. All right, well, Trevor. Thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Um, again, no how problem. do we get in touch with you or how do people get in touch with you if they'd like to get more information? Um, if you go to trainugly.com, all of the stuff is there. And so is my phone number and so is my email address. And so that is a great place to find everything you need. Cool. Thank you, Trevor. Yep. Hey, thanks a lot, man. You have been listening to The McCarthy Project, and remember to always attack life and sport. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming, and I'm loud. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything!